free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday, June, July, the 20th, 2019. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist, your bat around guys, are in here uh, for two hours of baseball talk. Eddie Matz will join us from ESPN.com. He covers the Orioles and the Nats for ESPN.com. Adam Pohl, Bowie Bay Sox play-by-play voice, will tell us who's hot, who's not, who might get called up to or promoted to Norfolk. Is there a chance any of these guys will come up to help the Orioles in 2019? Then, columnist and analytics expert Matt Kremenitzer on Mike Mussina to the Hall of Fame. And finally... At 11.35, Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com will lay out what's in front of the Nats, how they lost that tough one, and can they bounce back tonight. We'll also find out if Max Scherzer will make that start tomorrow. No. He will not. He will not. Okay. Bursa sack issue in the back. Uh, He has taken a shot for it. Uh, they believe that in about four four days he'll be able to throw again. So this is a two week. It uh, looks like a it's two looking week like a two week thing. But Max is saying it's still not a serious issue for him. And you know what? Uh, you know, the, yes, they lost last night. But if they win tonight, that makes having yeah, they, Max even le- not not less important. But it's not as an emergency thing for the Nationals to have him be pitching in this series. Listen. I think they're they're as good as the now. I don't know who the Atlanta Braves are going to acquire before the trade deadline. I don't know who the Nats are going to acquire before the trade deadline. I think the Nats are easily just as good as overall. As the I, I overall. would ag- I would agree with that. I would even say they're a little bit better because of the starting pitching right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I would agree with that. I mean, I, I know the Nationals are going to add bullpen help. There's no. Qu- there's no way they can make this run down the stretch and get into postseason with what, got with what they've got in the bullpen now trying to get the ball to Sean Doolittle because, I mean, uh, Fernando Rodney's been a nice little piece for them yeah, to have. he's not the guy. <clears throat> but he's not the guy. And last night in the ninth inning, uh, in a 3-3 tie after Victor Robles hits a two-run homer to tie the game, Fernando hits the first batter. On an 0-2 pitch, then on an 0-2 pitch, then gives up a ground single right past Rendon. Walked the next guy, and Josh Donaldson hit a long fly ball. Yeah. So did they have five infielders in? Did they move? Soto uh, I to believe first they base? did. Yes. Okay. Um, Craig, before we start talking about the stuff that's important to baseball today, I was driving in listening to Ed Randall and Rico Petroselli. And they played a really neat feature coming back at 9 o'clock on Remember When. And it's the story of San Francisco, I believe, examiner, baseball writer at the time, Harry Jupiter, Mm -hmm. when he saw he was standing with Alvin Dark in spring training 1964. Gaylord Perry was then 26 years old already. And he was in spring training and he was taking some swings. And Jupiter said something like, boy, this guy looks like he really can swing the bat. Now, I don't know what he saw, but Alvin Dark said, let me tell you something. We'll put a man on the moon before Gaylord Perry. <laughs> oh, and, and Jupiter said, I think he could hit a few home runs. And he said, let me tell you something. We'll put a man on the moon before, before he hits a home run. Well, five years later, Alvin Dark was not the manager of the San Francisco Giants. He was in Cleveland. 
But about an hour after, literally an hour after man landed on the moon, <laughs> Gaylord Perry hit a home run. Yeah. They don't make this stuff up. Yeah. That's an incredible story. Incredible story. Yeah. And then accurate. <laughs> and then accurate, yeah. You know, I saw Gaylord Perry start a game. Now that I think about it, it was 1964. My mother took me to the World's Fair, which was in Queens, mm-hmm. Washington, Queens, across mm-hmm. the street from the Shea, um, Stadium. From Shea Stadium. And we went because the Giants were playing there. Willie Mays was my favorite player. And you know who started that game for the uh, San Francisco Giants? Gaylord Perry. Yeah, there you go. And I also saw the first Japanese pitcher in that game. It wasn't his first game, but the first Japanese pitcher – we make all this uh, about Hideki Nomo and what was the guy on the Red Sox uh, who was so supposed to be so great he never was. Um, the, the guy they signed out of Japan in, like, 1997 or 2003, 2005. That's how how That's, now, how, that's how I remember him. Uh, but Hideki Nomo, uh, got him. Uh, our own um, uh, Koji Uehara. Yeah, right. there's been all these – the first Japanese pitcher to pitch in the USA was in 1964. It was left-handed relief pitcher Masanori Murakami, mm-hmm. and I saw him pitch in that game. How about that? How about that? I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. I love the Gay- Gaylord Perry story, though. That's just hilarious. I'll tell you a story that's equal to that. I was 12 years old, and I was up in New York. I think it was the first time I'd ever really been in New York. My dad had been dead for six years, and I was not the most confident kid in the world. And I had to go to the bathroom, and my mother pointed me where the bathroom was. You know, she didn't, I was 12, she didn't take me in, but I went into the bathroom, and it's the first time I've ever witnessed somebody blow their nose by holding the opposite nostril. Like athletes do on the, yeah. And I was like, this guy had a lot of snot. Yeah. This, it, like, I was like, I was like. And for those looking and enjoying your breakfast this morning. Yes. yes, yes. (laughs) I think it was equivalent to seeing my first pornographic uh, movie. It was very, I was, I was shocked by what I saw. It was an eye-opening experience? It was a nose-opening experience. (laughs) All right. Anyway, uh, as we said, Eddie Match joins us, Adam Pohl, Tim Richardson, Matt Kremnitzer, and uh, Mark Zuckerman. Right. Not Mark Zuckerberg. Mark no. Mark Zuckerman. Yeah. Uh, your and thoughts? He, he will be very quick to point that out. He, he yes. gets a lot of Facebook a, Oh, mail. you yeah. have no idea. Yeah. Tell me uh, your thoughts on uh, the Nats' tough loss last night. Tough loss last night, but, you know, uh, they, they could have gotten a little better out of Patrick Corbin. He only went five innings, but then was pinch hit for uh, in, the, uh, in the top of the six. So, you know, you go they from were trailing they, at the time. They were trailing, yeah, and they, they were trailing two to one at the time, and then, uh, or actually two nothing, and then uh, the Nats eked out a run. Uh, Anthony Rendon had an RBI hit, and uh, then then the Braves took a three one lead before uh, Victor Robles hit a two run homer in in the top of the ninth inning to tie the game. And you're thinking to yourself, well, here we go, maybe you got a shot. And then, uh, like I said, Fernando Rodney at the uh, at the back end of the ninth inning, the bottom half, uh, didn't get anybody out and gave up the long single to uh, Josh Donaldson, who, you know, f- for as much as not controversy, but trying to figure out whether Donaldson was still going to help a team somewhere down the line, 
Uh, he's been a pretty good find for the Atlanta Braves, and uh, he's he's really. I think he shook off the rust the first yeah. forty games. I'll bet since the first forty games, I'll bet he's hit three hundred and knocked probably eighteen of his twenty-two home runs, yeah. something like that. He seems to be back and should attract a solid two-year contract by somebody. I would think. I his would think, uh, and it might be the Atlanta Braves too. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, Could be the Washington Nationals if somehow Rendon would get away. Well, that I don't w- think that's how that happen. would have to happen. Yeah, I don't but, think it's happening. But no. uh, he's an attractive commodity, no question about it. Uh, who do they? Who's pitching in that matchup? Anna, Annabelle Sanchez goes for the Nationals. I have to look to see who's pitching for the Braves. Tonight. All right. Um, and that that rookie we were talking about on Thursday was Kyle Wright. Right. Okay. Yep. No. Right. right. Kyle yeah, Wright. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, who will take Max Scherzer's place tomorrow? Will it be Austin Voth? I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he'll he'll pitch and uh, and and they could go with Voth or Fetty, but Fetty pitched up here on uh, Wednesday on Wednesday in the Wednesday game. So you know, if it's in turn, it would be both. It would be both. Yeah. And he pitched very well. Both uh, are up right now. Correct. Right. Neither one was no. sent back to Harrisburg. All right. Uh, Orioles last night. They've actually been playing a little bit better baseball of late. Well, yeah, and you can't. I mean, they're they're coming off blowout wins, one over the Nats, and then uh, and then one last night over the Red Sox. And I got to be honest with you, David Price, give the Orioles a lot of credit for this. They beat a guy who's had their number throughout his career. And he was eight and zero with a two seven ERA at Camden, at Camden Yards coming into that game last night. So yeah. uh, the, Oro- the Orioles at- put some good at bats together. Yeah. They passed the baton pretty well. Uh, I'm not a big uh, Broxton fan for the most part. I'm not either. Strikes out a whole bunch, but had a big home run last night in the game. I will say this about Broxton: seriously, when he's able to put wood on ball, mm-hmm. he's got. Terrific power. There's no question. Oh, there's no about question. That. Ball jumps off his bat. Yeah. And uh, uh, a shout out too to Richie Martin last night. Played a hell of a game. Played a heck of a game last night. And uh, y- you know, you know what you get pretty much every night defensively from him. It's the offense that's been the struggle for him. But uh, not, last night, not the case. Uh, what what was a triple that turned into him scoring on an error by the right fielder? And oh, by the way, now you know why J.D. Martinez does not play right field on a consistent yeah, no, basis. It's a terrible play, <laughs> terrible play, but exciting play for fans to watch. No question, no yeah. question. And Mark Jacobson made the right call. Oh, he doesn't make, always make the right call. Oh, I think he Mark's. Was, I think Mark and Henny are, are. They're great. Really, they're great. really great. I'm saying he doesn't always make the right call. Well, that one he was. Neither dead does right. Henny. <laughs> Henny does. Henny's no. a lot closer. Yeah. Henny will be the first to tell you he doesn't. Yeah. But no, uh, both, they both do great jobs. But they do great jobs. You know what? And it was funny because Bill Stetka had that job for a long, long time. And I thought he was very good. Yeah. And uh, and that goes back to the days of Memorial Stadium, too. Right. Uh, but, uh, again, I, I thought it was the right call. should have been because once he bobbled the ball in right field, that allowed him uh, to go from third to home. Although I don't, you know, he might have slowed down just slightly. He slowed down just a little bit, yeah. anticipating. I'll tell you what. What was impressive on that play? He picked up his coach 
a lot of players, once they see, you know, the coach is signaling stay here, mm-hmm. they put their head down, don't look at and the And they coach. don't see it, right. He stopped. He started to stop, you know, so he, he slowed down. Hesitated a little bit. And then Flo was motioning, right. and he he didn't question anything. He just ran his butt off. Right. And uh, Tell me what you think of uh, what the club's plans long-term are with Richie Martin. I mean, would you assume that they will try to have a shortstop next year that is more veteran uh, capable that and Richie can go to AAA and and sort of get back on the development path, or do you think he's shown enough where he stays here and they they just get through it because it doesn't it's not going to be a hill of beans worth of difference on what their overall record is next year and maybe he develops at the major league level. Not to borrow a line from uh, airplane, but. <laughs> That's our hill, and those are our beans. Right. Uh, no, I, I, I think I would love to live with Richie Martin as the shortstop. Right. But you'd have to show me something much better offensively. No question. Uh, but, I mean, I, I'd take that kid every night at shortstop defensively. Now, uh, I'm told. But, but I'm I, told. I, think, I think that they'll probably play him out as long as they can to, to get the best gauge possible as to whether or not he can handle that. Yeah. If not, then I think they have to go out looking. Now, I'm told I'm told that by a pure metrics, your eyeballs say the same thing that my eyeballs say, mm-hmm. that Richie Martin's a pretty decent defensive shortstop. The metrics don't tell you that, though. The metrics have him defensively as not a very strong shortstop. Let's pick up that thread with our guest, my cousin, my second cousin, Eddie Matz of ESPN.com. Eddie, how are you, my friend? Good morning. You're on with uh, the uh, estimable uh, Craig Heist and your second cousin, Stan the Fan. I don't know what that word means, but anyway. Mike Soroka is your starter for the Braves tonight, too. All right, so Soroka Sanchez. Right. Okay. Uh, We're starting, we were in the midst of a conversation on Richie Martin. Craig Heist and I both, our eyeballs tell us, He's a pretty darn good defender. I, I'm told that metrically speaking or analytically speaking, that doesn't really match the the reality. What do you know and what do you see, Ed? I haven't looked at his advanced metrics recently. Uh, yep. I see good and bad from him. Yep. I think he's, he seems to have good instincts. Uh, he's a terrific athlete and I feel like he, he moves well and gets the ball as well, but I see him do some things sometimes that you're like, oh, he's still a young Yep. Still a young shortstop, right? Still a young player. I forget there was a play the other night where it was, it was like a. I remember that play that Manny Machado made a couple of years ago, like three or four years ago, where the guy was coming around third, right? Take to first and threw back. It was it was kind of a play like that where there was a runner going from second to third. He knew, and so Richie Martin like tried to do a similar thing, but it just it didn't look right. Like, it it didn't look right. Yeah. So you know, he just still looks like he's kind of growing into his defensive self. I think he's, he's fine. You know, I, think, I think he's fine, but it, it wouldn't surprise me that metrics don't uh, don't rate him out great. Right. I think you get pluses and minuses. So, so now you've watched him for nearly you know a hundred games into the season. He starts probably two out of every three games. I'm guessing roughly. Uh, your thoughts on where he fits into the Orioles long term? Usually, the ideal situation from for a guy that played at Double A last year would be to kind of hide him up here, not play him quite as much as he's played, but that's on teams that care about winning 
in in the you know in the in the now. Um, do you think he goes back to AAA next year, or does the club sort of say, you know what, it's not going to make that much difference to our win loss record. Let's try and develop him at the major league level. Yeah, I think he's more likely to stay up just because they're they're not going to be trying to win next year, and I'm not sure what the point of sending him down is. Who's going to fill in all the other games at short? I don't think you want to necessarily like quote unquote waste money on a free agent to come in and play shortstop. Um, so I think he's more likely to stay up. But then long term, I don't you know. Gone are the days when you can have a shortstop who's like decent with the glove and doesn't really give you anything offensively. Right. You know? Especially um, in the American pretty, League. Especially in the American yeah, League. Yeah, these days you, everyone needs to hit almost, right? Except yep. maybe your catcher. And, but uh, yeah, I, if you're talking past the near term, I can't envision him. Uh, who knows? You know, maybe he's still young. You could turn the corner and then then I look like an idiot, right? And he becomes like an all star shortstop. But so at this question, point, it, does, it doesn't seem like what's going to happen. The question is then. Rule five in its the the concept behind the rule five is so somebody doesn't get stuck in somebody's organization interminably long and ruin most of the the prime of their career just because that team owns them. But is it truly good for the development of a player if if a guy goes to a team like the Orioles right now and he's just thrown into the deep water and they say swim, you know? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, it's not. But you know, what are the alternatives, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the the, the player, you know, the team basically gets to get somebody for free, more or less, although they have to take up a roster spot, and the player gets an opportunity that they otherwise might not have had. Yep. You know? So I'm sure Richie Martin is thrilled to be in the bigs and to be a mostly everyday player. So, yeah, it might not be what's best for his development, because you know, especially with hitting, confidence is such a huge thing in baseball, right? At any level, like starting from Little League all the way up, you know, if you think you can't hit, you can't hit. And if you think you can, you can. So you'd rather take your time and have a guy go incrementally up the up the ladder and feeling good mentally. But, um, you know, there's, there's something to be said for learning on the job, too. Uh, there really is. And, uh, you know, I'm going I'm to stand on this one. I just think that what I see, and I sit next to Steve Molesky, too. I'm a good buddy from MassInSports.com. Uh, but I... You know, and we, we, we still think the same way pretty much and that the, the defense is, you know, from what we can see is pretty good. I mean, you know, but uh, offensively it's whether or not this kid's going to be able to hit. And when, when Stan asked me that question, I was thinking more than anything else that they'll have to probably wait the end of this year out and see, you know, whether or not they feel like there's some, uh, you know, potential there with the bat. And, and I don't know whether there is or not, but – you, you certainly you had a hell of a game last night for sure. Well, he had a hell of yeah, a season every, at the double A level every, last year. Yeah. yeah. Everyone had a hell of a game last night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think about the uh, Nationals? That's a tough one to lose last night, uh, especially after you, they never led in a game, but they crawled their way back from 3-1 down when Robles hits the two-run homer. Uh, got a solid outing out of Corbin, probably not as deep as in, in the game that he'd like to go, but – uh, they they fought back, and then uh, Fernando Rodney gave it up in the bottom of the ninth inning. He didn't get anybody out in the process. Yeah, it was it was that was. If you're a Nationals fan, that was a depressing one. As soon as Robles hit that homer, and the ending ended with the game tied, I knew exactly where that game was headed. Everyone knew exactly where that game was headed. Three three four years ago, when the Orioles were contending and their bullpen was filthy, you got into a game like that, tie game late, and you knew that the Orioles were going to win. 
because they had a deep bullpen that was going to be better than the other team's bullpen. And they were going to throw up zeros there until the offense did something. These days with the Nationals, it's the exact opposite. Even though the bullpen's been better lately, and Rodney has been a, a big part of that, when it gets into a game like that, tied late, you just know that they're not going to win. Well, you know, and, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm and not if, sure it's not if it's not Doolittle, if it's not Doolittle out there, then yeah, there's definitely issues, and no question. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I knew it was going to happen that quickly, but honestly, like I, I think Doolittle, I, I don't even think Doolittle's been that good this year. He's been fine, but he is a fraction of the guy that he's been the last couple of years. If you look at his. His metrics, his swing and miss rate, which was like 33 or 34% last year, is down to 24% this year. That's a huge drop. And when you watch him, he has all these long at-bats. Instead of getting you know, 13, 14 pitch innings, he's getting 21 pitch innings. His guys are fouling off three, four balls, it seems like, every time he gets well, into a straight count. I will say this, overwork in the first half of the no season is, is part of that problem, I think. Yeah, but even before, even at the beginning, he, and he's admitted to that. He's admitted to fatigue. But I feel like even at the beginning, when he was kind of fresh out of the gate, we were still getting some of that. So he's good. He's obviously the least of, of the Nationals' problems in the bullpen. Um, but, yeah, it was a head-scratcher. It reminded me of the, the Britain game in Toronto, the playoff game last night. Um, I was like, even from the beginning, I would have I brought Doolittle in on the road. Right. So, uh, it just didn't make any sense to me. So, Eddie, what what level do the Nationals and Mike Rizzo try and fix that problem with? I mean, they signed Rodney. They signed Venners. Uh, prior to that, who did they Dan Jennings they had. Now, now they <laughs> signed Brad Boxberger. Do they go out and get somebody that's really – as elite as Doolittle, or is it just a helper that they get? Uh, I, I don't think they can afford to get somebody as elite as Doolittle, right? So all the top-line closer names, reliever names that you hear being bounced around right now, guys like Kirby Yates from the Padres and Felipe Vasquez from the Pirates and Will Smith from the Giants, Ken Giles from the Blue Jays, all those guys are going to cost top prospects. So for the Nationals, that's probably a guy like Carter Keeboom, who's a middle infielder that's very highly thought of. He's their top prospect. Yeah. And I can't imagine they're going to be willing to part with him for a couple reasons. One, because he's their top prospect and they don't want to get rid of him. Two, Rizzo and, and management just don't seem to value overpaying for bullpen help, whether it's uh, in the offseason with signing free agents or whether it's during trade deadline season when you're trading human assets. So... I don't think they're going that route, but there's plenty of other relievers out there. Like even that Giants bullpen has like four guys, right? Sam Dyson is in there. Mark Melanson's in there. So I see them if they're going to get somebody, which they should, they should get at least one and probably two. You're going for a second tier or lower arm who doesn't have the name recognition, but can still give you quality innings in the seventh and eighth inning. And that way you're not trading Carter Keeblum. You're trading like, who knows, maybe like a top 10 prospect in your system or maybe even a little lower down. So that's where they should go. But the flip side is this is not like past years where they were leading the division by like nine games and they knew that they didn't have to play a wild card game. So here you run the risk of trading capital, human capital for a reliever, and then you get into a wild card game. And yes, you have Max Scherzer and you think we're going to win that game and get into the series anyway. But suppose you don't. Like Scherzer hasn't been great in the playoffs. He's dinged up right now. So suppose for whatever reason the Nationals don't win a wild card game. Well, first they have to get there. Yep. And then suppose they don't win the wild card game. Then you've traded some capital and made some moves for nothing, really. So it's, it's tricky, but I, I still I can't imagine them not 
going out there and getting a couple arms. It's such a obvious need. This is Stan the Fan. I'm along with Craig Heist. You're listening to the Bat Around, and it's uh, being aired out of the Live Casino Hotel Studios. We urge everyone watching us on Facebook Live to like and share the stream. Eddie, uh, you've covered both teams now for about three to four years. You know the dynamics with the Masson lawsuit and what the learners and the Angelos families are, uh, what they think of one another probably. Uh, is there a possibility that the perfect fit would be Michael Givens going to the Nationals, say for Michael A. Taylor and a, and a 17- or 18-year-old international player a trade that normally would make a lot of sense for both teams. Could that come off, or do you think this is uh, something the Orioles would never entertain? I think it could. I, I wouldn't say never. It could certainly happen if the need was right, and it, and it fit both teams. It, it could happen. But there's there's so many relievers like Michael Givens on the other 29 teams, base, other 28 teams in baseball, that I don't think it will happen because you just rather not do business, you know, those two teams with each other. So I just, you know, there's just so many other guys who are like that. In Baltimore, we see Michael Givens. We know he's been pitching well lately. We know he's a potential trade target. I was last week, when or this week, was today, Saturday? Yep. Two days ago when I was at the park, I saw a handful of scouts, and some of them told me point blank, we're looking at Givens. Um, but none of them were national scouts on that particular night. That doesn't mean the nationals aren't looking at him. Um so I think in Baltimore, we think, oh, Givens, he's tradable. The Nationals need bullpen help down the road. Givens to the Nationals makes sense, and it does. <laughs> but you gotta, you got to remember, there's, there's 28 other teams. So I think I'd be surprised if Givens heads to D.C., but you never know. Never know. Uh, but, you know, obviously between now and the 31st, they've got to do something with that bullpen because I think you're starting pitching for the most part. Scherzer or no Scherzer at this point uh, is pretty solid. Uh, Max says that he doesn't anticipate this being any more than another maybe 10 days or so. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you think about the top three and then Sanchez with that, uh, you can't afford to be having games like you had last night or even if you have the lead. Uh, and they never led in that game last night. But even if you have the lead, you can't you can't expect uh, that this bullpen to be able to to, to hold on to leads because they've proven time and time again this year they can't. Yeah, you know, I think they, they, they have to include. Honestly, I thought, I, I would have thought they would have already done something because last year, was that last year? I get confused with all the years. Or was it two years ago when they got Kelvin Herrera? Was that last year or two years ago? That was last, last year they year, got yeah. Herrera, yeah. yeah. So that was last year. That was in June. They got way out ahead of that one. And then Madsen and Doolittle in 17, they got them right around this time. I think it was July 21st or 20th, I want to say. So they're, they're typically not one of those teams that waits until the very end. Although, I will say the difference is you know, when you're when you're nine games ahead in the division, it behooves you not to wait because right. you know you're going to need help. Here in this situation, you know, it, might make, it makes a little bit of sense to wait. Um, a, because you're not exactly sure how your own team is going to pan out. And B, because if you do wait, you have uh, the market changes, right? There are teams, there are a lot of teams, especially in the National League, that are kind of caught in the middle there. So you don't really know what the full supply of relievers is, right? Because there might be a team a week from now that thought they were buying that becomes a seller. So I would have thought that they would have made a deal already. So maybe they're just waiting. We're talking with Ed Matz of ESPN.com. Have him for just a few more minutes. Ed, uh, 
uh, early this season, coming off the year the Nats had last year, there was a lot of pressure on Dave Martinez, and it was by some members of the media, myself included, kind of a bullseye on his back that he was part of the problem. Um, that club has played really, really well the last 45 to 50 games. Does he deserve some of the credit for it? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I think when they, when they were struggling earlier, he probably didn't deserve a lot of the the criticism that he was getting. And now that they're playing better, I'm not sure how much of the credit he deserves. You know, the manager, especially in, especially in this situation, you're you're handcuffed by what your roster is, right? Bullpen management is, is the big thing, right? That's the where managers can kind of win and lose games for the most part, especially in the National League. But, you know, he was dealt a certain hand. They were very deficient in that bullpen. You know, if Trevor Rosenthal and Kyle Bearclaw if those guys had worked out right off the bat, it would have been a different story. But, sure. you know, there were injuries, there was ineffectiveness. That's not his fault. He wasn't the one making the choices. That was on Mike Rizzo in and, and, and the front office. Um, you know, now that they're playing well, Davey's not doing anything differently, right? He's To his credit, he is the same guy. Win, lose, streak, slump, like it doesn't matter. He's the same guy. And, for some of us in the media, sometimes it's a little bit annoying. You kind of want to see him get riled up or get bent out of shape, maybe occasionally throw somebody under the bus. But to his credit, he does not do that. So, you know, the, the reason they've been playing so well these last seven, eight weeks is because they're healthy, right? Rendon and Turner weren't healthy earlier. Yep. They got healthy. Uh, they got rid of Rosenthal, replaced him effectively with Fernando Rodney. That's helped. You know, some of the, the younger bullpen arms like Wander Suero and Tanner Rainey have shown flashes and been pitching better. Uh, Juan Soto, by the way, like Juan Soto was not himself the first six weeks of the season. That's made a huge difference. And then the schedule. They played a lot of crappy, crappy teams the last two, three weeks before the All-Star break. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot easier to beat up on the Royals and the Marlins and the Tigers than it is what they've got now, which is like the Braves, the Dodgers, the Phillies. Yeah, but one so of the, all those things go in there. One of the things, though, that he got really hammered for the first, say, six, seven weeks of this season was, you know, some of his bullpen decision-making issues. Uh, there were two in particular. Last night with maybe not starting Doolittle in the ninth inning, I think, you know, you can question him on that one. But the other night at Camden Yards, that's a two-run game, or a one-run game, rather, and they decide not to, uh, you know, to, to, to bring Fetty out again after he's pitched so well, and he's only at 66 pitches, you know, and I say after six innings, and I got to say, you know, you got to give him another inning. I understand he hadn't pitched in 14 days, but your last inning that you pitched was a one-two-three inning. It was very easy, and I, I just didn't understand that that rationale, whatever it was on Wednesday night. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with you. Like whatever his pitch count was or his innings count, they were thinking going in, he was so efficient, right? Sixty-six pitches in the six innings, you got to at least roll the dice. But I don't think it would have mattered because I still think he was <laughs> he had too many innings to bridge on a night when certain relievers weren't available. But yeah, and, and last night's loss, it's hard to look at that game and not put that one on Davey, right? Because you at least got to give yourself a chance to get to extra innings. So right. why not bring in Doolittle? Um, but over the course of a long season, every manager, whether you're a second-year guy like Martinez or a guy who's been doing it you know, 25 years like Bruce Bochy, however long he's been doing it, you're going to have games where the, the losses are going to get hung on you. Right. So, 
bullpen management is always tricky. Even with Dusty Baker, there were bullpen management questions. It's hard. It's hard to do that. And the game moves quicker than you think it does, right? Like everyone who's watching a game on TV thinks, oh, how did you not play that one differently? But the game can, can speed up on you, especially when in the National League and there's pinch hitters and double switches. But yes, they're getting paid, you know, six, seven fingers, so they should be, <laughs> should be able to figure these things out. Um, so you would like to have seen better management last night for sure. Ed, before we go, I got three quick questions for you. All right, can you? Is your mind good? You can remember them as I prattle them off. All right, I'll do my best. <laughs> the, the return the Orioles got for Cashner, B. Juan Soto. Are we watching someone truly historical? And C. Rendon. Do the Nats and Rendon uh, make a deal? So the return for Cashner, I was surprised. I would have thought they would have gotten somebody a little bit more tangible, closer to the big leagues, but I guess the, the market for him must not have been fully developed or might never fully develop this year, but they moved early, so it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. But yes, I was surprised that they, at, at what they got from him. All right. Uh, Soto, are we watching something historic? Uh, I mean, his, his age. I mean, it's really quite amazing. This is a 400-plus on-base guy, and he's 20 years of age. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's fantastic. Uh, I don't, it's hard to say if we're watching something historic, because what makes it historic is how young he is. Yeah, uh, is he going to continue to get better and be like you know hit three sixty and slug five hundred and have a four digit OPS? Uh, don't know, but you know a lot of the history that gets made by offensive players and, and pitchers happens over because they have. If you start really early, you get more reps, right? So your odds of getting say four thousand hits are, or three thousand hits are better when you start at nineteen. So in that definition, yeah, we, we could be looking at history. He's a, he's a just a fantastic offensive baseball player. All right, and finally, uh, Rendon, finally Rendon. Yeah, yeah. What's that? And, and finally, Rendon. Do they get a deal done? You talking about in season here before yep. he becomes a free agent? Yep. At this point, uh, it seems doubtful to me. But if they offered Harper a deal last year at the end of the season, I can't imagine them not offering Rendon a deal at the end of the season. It's just question of is it going to be really them offering a deal or is it just one of those ones where they do it so they can say hey look we tried you know raise our hands up he didn't want to do it um you know but uh, rendon's a boris guy so if they do that it certainly would be easy to envision him also going the route that harper went which is saying thanks no thanks you're going to hit the market so um at this point i'd be surprised if they lock him up before he gets free agency all right ed matz eddie matz of espn.com you can read his stuff on the orioles the Nationals, and just the the national pastime. Many thanks, Ed. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care. All right. I want to remind you, today's show is brought to you by Mobile One Synthetic Oil. It keeps your engine running like new. Synthetic motor oils, trusted protection, the mobile advantage. Craig? Let's talk about the Costas Inn advantage. Well, they've been on in business 48 years, so that's pretty much a big advantage right there. That's a long time. It's a long, long time. Since 1971, and uh, you will not find better crabs, better crab cakes uh, in the area than at the Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. Specials on the menu all week long. Monday night, crab cake night. Tuesday night is ribs night. Had some ribs last night there, in fact. Uh, Wednesday night uh, is steak night and half, bo- half price off bottles of wine, all bottles of wine uh, on Wednesday night. Lobster night on uh, Thursday, and great specials throughout the ri- uh, the week. The prime rib is excellent, and uh, live entertainment 
Wednesday night, jazz night, Friday, rock and roll, along with the same on Saturday. So that's what you have in mind uh, for uh, dinner. It's a, it's a good place to go. 4100 North Point Boulevard, phone number 410-477-1975. If you need an endorsement, you've got Craig Heist endorsement and Stan the Fans endorsement of the Costas Inn. Hey, want to remind you of Saturday, August the 17th, Dwight Yoakam with Sugarcane Jane at the Event Center at Live Casino Hotel. The tickets are $45 a piece, but you get a $10 free slot play with each ticket purchase. That's Dwight Yoakam with Sugarcane Jane on August 17th at the Live Casino Hotel Event Center. Favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate at Camden Yards. Sliders Bar and Grill is at 504 Washington Boulevard, just steps away from Camden Yards. It's the perfect sports bar for every season. This is the perfect time to book your private party or take the office to lunch. Feeding clients, take them to Baltimore's neighborhood sports bar, Sliders, for great food and drinks with some local atmosphere. You can book your private event on the second floor or on the outside patio, both overlooking the best stadium in baseball. See all of Sliders' daily specials or book your party at slidersbaltimore.com sliders baltimore's neighborhood sports bar visit them today around here there are two kinds of chicken royal farms world famous chicken and everything else what's the difference royal farms chicken is always fresh never frozen it's hand dipped in a secret recipe of herbs and spices and cooked on the spot right in the store chicken from anywhere else who knows Hungry for some hot and delicious chicken? Get some Royal Farms World Famous Chicken. It's one of a kind. And don't forget the Western fries. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. In Birdland, summer looks a lot like strolling under the lights on Utah Street, diving into a juicy Boog's barbecue sandwich, snagging exclusive giveaways, and tagging your friends to get theirs too. Saving big with kids cheer free, or sipping on an ice cold brew on the Budweiser roof deck while jamming out to the all new Birdland Summer Music Series. Whatever gets you going this summer, Oriole Park has you covered. And all you need is your ticket. Be part of it all. Orioles.com. This is the old left-hander Ross Grimsley. You know, I've always known a little something about special pitchers, but today I'm pitching to you about a very special restaurant, the Costas Inn. Located at 4100 North Point Boulevard, the Costas Inn is known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. But get a load of the nightly specials. Monday night is rib night. Tuesday night, crab cake night. Wednesday night, steak night. Lobster nights on Thursday. Friday, Pete and Nick offer a variety of special dinners. Take it from me, Ross Grimsley. I'm no special. And the Costas Inn is one hell of a special place. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. As the weather heats up, the menu at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square cools down, introducing the all-new Frosted Key Lime, a fun twist on one of America's favorite pies. The new treat is a hand-spun combination of Chick-fil-A's signature ice dream, Chick-fil-A lemonade, and natural sugar-free lime flavoring made from a blend of key limes, coffer limes, and Persian limes. Frosted Key Lime gets its green color from a mix of nutrient-rich ingredients. Download the Chick-fil-A app today, place your order, and get points towards free stuff at our chick 
Chick-fil-A, Nottingham Square. Plus, if you order using your app, your food will be ready when you get there. Stop by Chick-fil-A in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center at 5198 Campbell Boulevard and tell Steve we sent you. Join the flock as the Chesapeake Bayhawks face off against the New York Lizards for Chesapeake Celebration and Rivalry Night on Saturday, July 20th at 7 p.m. at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. Arrive at 4.30 p.m. to attend our new Lexus tailgate featuring games, live music, and complimentary Bud Light for ticket holders 21 and up. Tickets are available and start at $20. To purchase, visit thebayhawks.com slash tickets or call the Chesapeake Bayhawks ticket office at 866-99-HAWKS. Go Bayhawks! This is former Trump AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Hoster from the bottom of Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Alright, we are back uh, on the battle round and do we have our, our guests lined up? All right, We do. Stan the Fan and Craig Heiss we're broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios and we remind you once again if you're on watching us on Facebook Live please like the program and share the program. Yes, Mr. Heiss. Now, I just want to take a, a, a moment to congratulate the station I work for down in D.C., 106.7 The Fan, WJFK. Are they paying us for this? Uh, no, they're not, okay. but I'm going to send a shout-out. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to send a shout-out to them anyway. It is our 10th anniversary. and uh, Congratulations. Kind of kind of a neat thing, and, and the, the sports landscape, has changed dramatically in 10 years in, right. in Washington in terms of, you know, nationals and, and being able to pick them up and, and broadcast their games. But when you think about a Stanley Cup champion coming to town and finally getting that done after all the heartache, now we just get the Wizards going in the right direction. Well, I think the Wizards are doing the right thing by making a permanent, or as permanent as it can be, yeah. making uh, interim general manager Tommy Shepard the GM. I right. think he's pretty sharp guy i think he's a pretty sharp guy and i think he'll do well uh it was certainly time for ernie grunfeld to go and i like ernie personally but yeah. uh and, and it just wasn't getting wasn't it done getting it anymore done. yeah yeah and in fairness to him and i don't want to keep our guests waiting he had some bad luck he you did know, i mean the yeah. john wall contract has now turned out to be an albatross of like almost historic if you think the chris davis contract is bad this thing is really a monster right yeah. now he may not play for two full seasons. Joining us right now is the play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox, and he got to witness minor league baseball history and something that's not seen that often at any level, a no-hitter the other night. That's Adam Pohl. Adam, how are you? That is right. Thank you guys for having me. Boy, your voice sounds a little... Uh, did you have a rough <laughs> game last night? You know what? I, uh, I don't know what it is about this time of year, but I... I am battling it this morning. There's no doubt about it. I, I kind of went hoarse yesterday, yep. and I am doing everything I can to overcome it. All so. right. Do you have an allergist or an eye, eye <laughs> or nose or an eye ear nose? A lot of times, yeah, these things no, in I, our throat I, are allergies. I unfortunately have been to like every ENT in the state of Maryland. 
I, I um, but I've never been to an allergist before, so maybe that's something. It, it's literally, it's I know it's 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 frustrating for me. It's, I got I, I have problems this time of year all the time. It, I got to tell you, when you say when you say this time of year, that's what allergies generally are. They affect you on kind of a seasonal basis. Uh, Now, we just had Eddie Matz on, who's my cousin. I have another cousin, Dr. John Matz, who is an allergist extraordinaire. So um, call his office and make an appointment. All right. right. All right. Because I I know that that doesn't... That doesn't sound like just horse from now, yelling loud. Now, now are we are we paying for that too? Or <laughs> John John pays in one way or the other. By the way, he just did he just did a test for me, as as happens so often to people my age. I'm 67. I was brought up. I'm a baby boomer. My mother. I must have had an allergic reaction to penicillin when I was young, like two or three years old, where I okay. got hives. And so for the next 30 years, I was always allergic to penicillin. Thank well, God I, I finally never was. At, 60, <laughs> at 67, I got a test, and I am, in fact, no longer allergic, if I ever was truly allergic. But, you know, that's life-threatening. If yeah. you take penicillin and you're allergic to it. So they just they erred on the side of caution. Uh, but it turns out John Matt's office did a test on me. And I am not allergic to penicillin. And that can wow. be important if you go in for a surgery as to what antibiotics they can uh, hit you with, you know? That's right. That's I, right. Anyway, there's a free plug for my cousin John and some advice to you, <laughs> young man. What was it like uh, doing the play-by-play on a no-hitter? What point in the game did you kind of really know it and start sort of implying it? Or are you one of the guys that just point-blank – fourth or fifth inning says he's pitching a no-hitter. Yeah, I am that guy. I'm, I'm the guy that just starts saying that he's pitching a no-hitter. And the reason for that is, is because uh, the reality is the majority of people that are watching and listening to your game, especially a minor league game, but they're, they're not listening to the whole game. You know, So so if they just come into the sixth inning and you don't talk about it, yep. well, nobody will know. You know, so uh, so but, but everybody was giving me junk about it because they said I was talking about it too often. <laughs> How good was Bauman's stuff the other night? Wow, I mean, he just kept getting better and better. His fastball velocity kept increasing, and his slider right now is just a dominant pitch because he's throwing it in what is usually a cutter speed. You know, when you throw a 94 mile an fastball, let's say 94, 95, 96, but then you throw a 90-mile-an-hour slider, that's that's usually not called a slider. It's called a cutter, but it has slider movement. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, Steve Molesky does such a great job of covering the minor leagues, too, for the Orioles and Masson. Right. Uh, and, and he was talking to me about it the other night, actually last night, in fact, and he says, uh, you, you know, to, to see what that kid did as the game continued and went on, he said might have been the most impressive thing that he, he took out of the whole thing. Well, the, the thing about Bauman, you know, the Bay Sox have right now a pretty historic rotation for Bowie in that you've got five starting pitchers uh, that are all well above average double-A starters. Uh, but the reality of it is that uh, when you look at God, the other four, they don't have prototypical dominant stuff, meaning they don't throw in the mid-90s, right? And um, 
And, and so there's worry that, uh, you know, Zach Lowder's throwing a 99 mile hour fastball. Is that going to be enough? Uh, Alex Wells is throwing in the high 80s, even though he has the best command of the system. Is that going to work at the major league level? Things of, of this nature. But with Bauman, I mean, he was throwing 97, even touched 98 miles an hour late in that start. So uh, he is a guy that has more of today's era's prototypical stuff. And the question is, can he develop a third pitch? And, and can he also have consistently good fastball command uh, to be a major league starting pitcher? We're talking with uh, Adam Pohl. He's the play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox. Adam, we're getting a couple questions from folks on the uh, uh, on the feed. And uh, talk, talk a little bit about Ryland Bannon as a real true prospect, the second baseman we got in the Dodger deal last year from Machado, and also his cohort, uh, outfielder Yusniel Diaz. All right, well, Ryland Bannon first, a little bit of background on him. He was the Big East player of the year in 2017 out of Xavier. He was an eighth-round draft choice by the Dodgers. That's the same round, though, uh, that Trey Mancini was selected. So, in a way, he's kind of a similar prospect as far as uh, a guy that uh, had good college results but was looked at as maybe not being a guy that could be, you know, a big-time player in the major leagues. But now he is over-exceeding expectations in the minors. Now, he's not a similar type of player to Mancini. Uh, Bannon hit a home run last night. Uh, but he's got seven home runs in the year. He's not going to be a huge power hitter, uh, but uh, but also he's he's a small guy. So he's got more power than you'd think from a small frame. Um, the thing that stands out for Bannon uh, that you don't see in his numbers is that he is a ball player uh, that, to me, is, is an exceptional defensive third baseman. Uh, they have him playing a lot at second as well, but I think he is an excellent, a well-above-average defensive third baseman. Now, that is usually a position that you look for a lot of power from. Yeah. So the question is, yeah, will he be a big league regular, or will he be more of a utility guy? He's also a guy that doesn't play short. Uh, so those are the questions that stand out as far as how he fits in long-term in the major leagues. Uh, but he is somebody to watch out for. All right, how about Diaz? Yeah. yeah, and Yusnel Diaz uh, is also, I think, a better defender than you'd think. He's a guy that can go get it. He's got a very strong arm. Uh, he's a very aggressive base runner. Sometimes you love that, sometimes you don't. Uh, but to be honest, this year his base running has, has been very good. Uh, he plays the game uh, with a little bit of a flair, uh, which I love. Some people don't like that, but I absolutely love it. Uh, and he's got the biggest power. I mean, when you look at guys that have exit velocity off the bat, in the last five years in the Orioles system, that have gone through Billy, uh, you're looking at uh, guys like Trey Mancini, Austin Hayes, and Yusniel Diaz. Now, can he do it consistently? We have seen him go on long periods of time where he has struggled. Uh, there was a great article in the Baltimore Sun this week by John Mioli about some of the adjustments that Diaz has made that, that has really helped him. Uh, but uh, he's standing really close to the plate. Um, he's more of a pull-dominant hitter. So I don't think he's going to hit for a big average in the major leagues, but the hope is that this power really uh, becomes a thing and that he can be a, a big corner outfield uh, power hitter in the major leagues. Help me understand something about Diaz. R- on the surface, the numbers don't look that impressive right now. 250 batting average, 333 on base, 800 
uh, OPS, 467 slugging. But he these these are all the numbers are accomplished over about the last four or five weeks, right? So he was injured on April 25th, and he had a bad month of April. And since that, he's come back to the Bay Sox in the first week of June. He's basically been a 275-280 hitter with, uh, with big-time power and big-time RBI production. So that's what you want to see out of him. Yeah. And just be honest, too, uh, just a, a little anecdote. He's a really fun player to watch play. Uh, two nights ago, there's a fly ball down the right field line that curls foul, and UCL runs uh, so hard he actually runs and he ran through a gate uh, that is on the far side down the right field line. It almost looked like Bo Jackson uh, in Monday right. Night Football back in 1990. We just lost him. You know, he was gone. He comes back the next pitch. The, the ball's hit in the exact same spot. Kerwin fell out of play. He just looked at it. He took two steps to his left, and he just started shaking his head. No, he just waved his love at him. Like, I'm not running hard at that one again. And just started laughing. So he's, he's one of these guys that has a great joy of playing the game of baseball. And uh, he's still very young. I mean, he's 23 years old. Uh, so that, that's the other thing, is that he's ahead of the curve in that regard. And you know, you're hoping with Yusniel that in in a year, whether it's late 2020 uh, to 2021, that he establishes himself kind of in a similar way to how uh, Santander is right now. Adam, what has turned this team around after such a bad start? I mean, to be playing the kind of baseball that they're playing now. You got, I don't think anybody saw this coming. Greg, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, but it, it does go to show how sometimes you are only a player or two away, and and you can get into one of these ruts where you're in a here-we-go-again type of period. But those folks in April were actually a pretty good pitching team that could not hit at all. And Yusuf Diaz was struggling, and Mason McCoy was not on the team. Mason McCoy gets promoted, and the Bay Sox had the worst record in all of minor league baseball at 7-23. and 23. And all of a sudden, uh, then Alex Wells entered the rotation. He's got the best one in the league. He will start tonight for Dean Kramer came off the injured list and joined the rotation. And all of a sudden, the Bay Sox had this elite five-man rotation with an uh, average, you know, above-average offense with Yusniel Diaz clicking. So you've got McCoy at the top of the order and Diaz in the middle. So McCoy sets the table and Diaz drives him home. And, and all of a sudden, some of these guys that had really bad starts have picked it up, like uh, Ryan McKenna. And Jesse Valentine, and uh, you know, just just down the line. So all of a sudden, uh, everything's clicked. But 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 it, it's been extraordinary to see a team that is seven and twenty-three uh, that now I believe is thirty-two and nine in the last forty-one games. It, it's amazing to me, and you know, and I know minor league baseball, and the results are so much different than Major League Baseball in right. terms of what you can maybe project down the line. But with what's going on in Delmarva all year long and what's going on with you guys right now, I mean, the, the future at least, there are some players in this organization that give fans hope without question. Right. And, you know, I've been in the system more than a decade, and 
early in my time in the system, the Orioles were in a similar position, and they had a lot of higher-end elite prospects. Uh, over my first few years, guys like Matt Wieters and Manny Machado and Dylan Bundy. And uh, now that, of course, is in the midst of changing because Adley Rutschman uh, is a top-ten prospect in minor league baseball. But the reality of it is getting into this season, uh, the Orioles system was one where if you put the top five players up against uh, some other organizations' top five players, uh, it, it, there wasn't that high-end, top-end, superstar, possible all-star type talent. But in the same regard, they had more players, more depth in the system of guys that could probably be guys that get to the major leagues and hopefully some of them pan out uh, than others. And that's what they're banking on. Because especially when the pitch in the end, and pitching is obviously the most important aspect of trying to win games. Uh, the Orioles had maybe 15 starting pitchers uh, in their minor leagues in the full season levels uh, that are guys that are very interesting to follow. And, and you know, when I started in the system, that number that number was probably more like between three and five. So, so with that being the case, you know, once again, uh, you know, you might have a lot of guys that, that – even with good success at AA, uh, scouts are still saying, well, I don't know if he's just going to work. Alex Wells, Zach Lowther, Jim Kramer, is their stuff going to play? But right now they're proving it. Let me jump in and ask you because we got about a minute and a half, so I want to ask you a couple things. <laughs> the five starters there, Bowman, yes. Lowther, Zimmerman, Kramer, and Wells, if you, will all five eventually pitch in the major leagues, barring injuries? I mean, do they have the talent to pitch in the major leagues? I, I think they will. I, okay. I really do. I, if I had to take a bet, I, I would say so. Who do, you like, scenario, who do you like? Who do you like at the five? Do who do you like at the top of those five? Who who can be a number two or better starter in the majors, or are they all three, four, five between them? So, Bauman has the, the best stuff. Uh, right now, there's no doubt about it. His stuff is kicked up. So, a scout would tell you that he's got the best chance to be a top-of-the-rotation starter. Uh, but, I'm telling you, when you look through my Major League Baseball, including one of our former um, uh, pitchers in our organization, Zach Davies, that seems to win double-digit games every year in Milwaukee, you know, he was a guy that just didn't have enough stuff, and, and that's why Dandy Kett traded him away. Uh, for Gerardo Parra, and um, Alex Wells fits that billing, you know. So, you know, why can't he be a guy, uh, you know, like the pitcher in Seattle, minor that, that almost threw a, a perfect game last night, or like Hendricks in Chicago. I, I think that uh, Alex Wells is going to be very interesting to follow because all right, let he me... doesn't throw 90 miles an hour, but he's only allowed two home runs all year. All right. I hate to be I hate to be rude, but I got to rush through this. I want to <laughs> ask you one question about a former Bowie Bay Sox. Yes. A lot of people are are glowing about Ryan Mountcastle. Okay? Yes. At Triple A, he's got 21 doubles, 17 homers, 57 RBIs, but I see 321 on base and I see 91 Ks, 13 walks. That ratio doesn't cut it to me. Can he improve that? I guess he can, but, I mean, he's not a big walk guy, but he's also not a big – I mean, I, I think he's going to hit for big power in the major leagues, 
and he's going to play at first base. You know, a lot All of right. people think, well, can he play third? Can he play left field? He's a first baseman, uh, and he's going to be able to hit for average and power. All right. He is Adam Pohl. Call my cousin John Matt's allergist. Yeah, thank right. you. Thank you guys so much. All right, Adam. We'll talk to you in a few weeks. And okay? the bill's in the mail. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. I'll talk to you soon. That's Adam Pohl. I also heard the Mount... contact with Tim Richardson in just a second. I also heard that Mountcastle dropped out of the top 100 in terms of uh, prospects. I'll tell you something. I mean, <clears throat> I I know he's got big time power, but when I see a ratio of 91 to 13, and and I will tell you. That opens about your eyes five, a little about bit. About five and a half weeks ago was 37, maybe six weeks ago, it was 37 to 7. And I warned people then that I was worried. Since then, he has struck out 55 times and walked six times. Yeah. That's not good. That, no, it's not. At the major leagues, that 91-13 but it could does. be 150 and 15. But for a guy who hits with power, that is kind of – you know, your, your stereotypical power hitter in terms of that and the way it goes. By the way, we're about ready to have Tim Richardson on. Yeah. Uh, he did uh, send me uh, a little bit of a message here a moment ago. Yeah, I got it, too. Okay. It's, it's the uh, We want to uh, clarify URL. the website. Yeah. We never gave the wrong one out. So yeah. Cameron Lambert <laughs> Foundation, through Cameron <clears throat> Dreams, become possibilities. And uh, joining us now is Tim Richardson, a longtime friend in the PR wars and a sports fan and sports media guy. Tim, how are you, my friend? Good, fellas. How you doing? I just got finished doing my allergy regimen to keep with the theme of the show, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> All right. You sound, you sound much better than Adam. But you know what? Yeah, well, I, I actually did, I did everything real quickly so that you could actually understand me, and I didn't sound like I was underwater. So well, that's just for you, you guys. You and I are allergic to Tim, so. <laughs> oh, he got, that, that took no time at all for yeah. Heisty to take the first he, shot. He went, he went ugly right away. Right, right away. Right, right, at least I know with him where I stand, Sam. You know? I, wanna, I, I bought some tickets to this thing, and you saw what I did there. I ended up, I wanted to buy five of them at $5 a piece, and I said, yep. you know what? I'm going to buy seven because seven times five is 35. I how, saw what you did there. How did you, and I'm trying to win the signed Mike Mussina jersey framed. How did you come upon this? And tell us a little bit about who Cameron sure. Lambert is and why there's a foundation in her name. Absolutely. Well, again, I just appreciate you guys having me on to talk about this morning. And, Stan, thank you for um, for making that purchase. I did notice the math that you did, and I, I've always said that you're way smarter than Heisty, so I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but the jersey itself is actually, it's game, it's clubhouse issued um, by the Orioles, and it was actually given to Messina uh, by someone associated with the foundation. So uh, it's a really cool jersey. Um, it says Orioles across the front, but in addition to being signed by Messina, it's got two really cool commemorative patches on it. So one of them is on the right shoulder, and it commemorates the 50th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier okay. in baseball. And then on the left shoulder is the 200th anniversary of uh, the city of Baltimore. Um, so stopping, not just stopping at a great jersey itself, we've also got gone out and had it professionally framed. So whoever wins the jersey doesn't just get the autographed historic jersey, but they also get it professionally framed. So it's in a 16 by, by 40 frame. Um, and the good thing about this is that tickets are only $5. Yep. Um, and 100% of every ticket sold goes directly to the mission 
of the foundation. So, so a lot us, of organizations, I'm sorry, go ahead. So tell us a little bit about who Cameron Lambert is and, and what the mission is of the foundation. Sure. Well, Cameron was a, a young child, a uh, precious little girl who unfortunately never got a chance to experience life and enjoy life um, as a young girl. She mm-hmm. passed away in September of 2007, just shy of her ninth birthday mm-hmm. after battling a horrendous ordeal with leukemia for about three years. Mm-hmm. So the foundation itself was then created by um, family members with the hope of reaching out to children like, Ka- like Cameron and the families of children like Cameron to help them you know, face the adversity in their lives, whether it be you know, physical, emotional, even financial or from an educational standpoint as well. The foundation consists of, it completely consists of volunteer board members. So again, as I mentioned, we have no paid staff. So there's no overhead. The only things we pay for every year are the legal things you have to do, like following your 990 and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Everything else is is donated or or raised through the generosity of people, um, you know, throughout throughout the state of Maryland. So a lot, we have a lot of programs that we do, um, but two of the ones that I think are most important are we do an um, annual holiday toy and, ki- and gift drive, and the results of that benefit pediatric patients and their families in area hospitals all throughout the state of Maryland. So University of Maryland, Johns Hopkins Children's Center, all, you know, Mount Washington Pediatric Center, all of those. And then we also have, within those programs, benefit Boys and Girls Clubs, the Ronald McDonald House. Um, and any ch- children with parents who are battling uh, addiction or any needy families who live within the, the state of Maryland. All right. Again, it's a Mike Mussina signed jersey. It's got the 50-year anniversary um, uh, patch from Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. And it also has the patch on the other side, on the left sleeve of the 200-year anniversary of Baltimore. It's, it's signed by Mike Mussina. It's yep. authenticated. It's in a beautiful frame. This is probably ultimately about a thousand dollar piece uh, with the frame included. Tell us how tickets are selling right now and how much longer people can buy them because we know he's going into the Hall of Fame tomorrow. Right. But you were smart enough to um, continue the sale a little bit longer. Well, one thing we want to do, and it was kind of uh, a mandate, if you will, that was recommended or set out to us by the person that provided it to us was. We feel like this has such a bang for it that it didn't make sense to be a, for it to be a silent auction event item right. at a one-night event. Um, so we've been selling tickets for a few weeks, few weeks now. One of our annual events is our Crab Feast, which will take place next Saturday, or no, I'm sorry, next Sunday, July 28th, and that's when the drawing will take place. Okay. But fortunately, you do not need to be present to win. So as long as we have your phone number on your ticket stub. Um, you, you'll be contacted so you don't need to be at the event. So there's two ways that people can buy tickets. They can easily go to the events page of CameronLambert.org, and that's K-A-M-R-Y-N-L-A-M-B-E-R-T.org, or they can simply call 443-852-0480. Again, that number is 443 852 0480 and talking about the way our foundation is run that phone number is directly to debbie katzenberger who is the director of our foundation and who is uh who is cameron's um grandmother um so i i want to think i mentioned two programs before the other one i want to mention too that's important is we also give out three scholarships every year and it's to graduating high school seniors throughout the state of maryland who are pursuing a nursing degree or any other medical related 
um, like a education P, like a PA field. or somebody that's trying to be a doctor. Yeah, right. Anything. So the, Cameron always dreamt of being a nurse. That was one of the things, and I think it was because of the way she experienced the care that she received around yep. her. So yep. we thought this was a good way to help people um, that that want to be in a field that benefited and tried to aid Cameron and and her family and and the work that they were doing. And so far, just this year, we've given out um, close to $25,000 and students who receive a scholarship are eligible to reapply every year. So we, they can old, old scholars can get new scholarships and then new scholarships continue to be, to be given out. Well, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm really excited about tomorrow because, uh, I want to see what Moose has to say because, because as I think we all know, He's a very intelligent guy, but really doesn't like a whole lot of the spotlight on him. So it's going to be interesting to see how those words are presented tomorrow when he gets inducted. Uh, But uh, I couldn't be happier for the guy. Uh, Yeah, I think it's well-deserved. It's too bad it took until it did to get him in. But you look at his career, and he's, he's clearly one of the best Oriole pitchers we've ever had, leading in a number of categories in the team. You know, he's been in the Team Hall of Fame for a number of years, and I think I think everyone who's a true Orioles fan understands that he's a real special piece of the Baltimore history. Um, And with this raffle, we're giving you an opportunity to own a real cool piece directly from the man himself um, tied into that great moment that he's going to experience and share with fans tomorrow. Tim, I've known you a long time. Uh, I smell your smarts all over this whole thing. Uh, How'd you get the Mucina piece? Well, it's actually was given to someone who's an advocate for the foundation. Um, Okay. And they've been holding on to it for a little bit, trying to figure out the best way for us to utilize it. And then with him going into the Hall of Fame, we thought, you know, it's the perfect storm, so to speak. Um, And it's an opportunity to to use this piece to celebrate not only a great moment for Baltimore baseball, but to to bring attention to a great cause and raise funds to help um, an organization that's dedicated to people within this great state of Maryland. All right. Well, we're always here, so let us know when you have some things like this coming up. But I I couldn't be uh, prouder of you. Sounds like a great organization. Again, we urge you to go to Cameron, K-A-M-R-Y-N, Lambert.org to purchase raffle tickets. And I think it was very smart. A lot of organizations would probably make it a $20 or $25 ticket, and that, that scares off some people. I think the $5 price is great, and I bet a lot of people are buying five or seven or yeah. ten tickets. And I, it's, it's, I, I, I've sold a number, as you can imagine, yeah. and I can tell you right now, I've not, sold, I've not sold a single ticket. Everything's been in the – I've had people that have bought 20 tickets, five yeah. tickets, seven tickets, whatever it might be. And I think what's – again, go back to Harkin on something I mentioned before – because of the way our organization is set up and because how every dollar we raise goes directly to the cause, we don't have to worry about overhead and indirect costs and all that kind yeah. of stuff. We're able to do something at a $5 point because we can make it affordable for fans that want to participate, but also we know that 100% of that 5 bucks is going to go to our programs. All right. We've got to take a time out. When we get back, uh, Tim, you may want to listen or watch on Facebook Live. We're going to have Matt Kremnitzer on who uh, writes analytics for us, columns, and uh, he's written a piece about Mucina. Yes, what, Whatever you do, Tim, the success of this or however it winds up being, how much of a success, just let it play out, okay? Just let it play out. <laughs> oh, man, he starts with a shot and he ends with a shot. Oh, Goodness gracious. Jesus whiz. Oh, it's man. Stan, you got to get better company. Come on now. All right. Timmy, All right, guys. Love you both. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Okay. There's Timmy Richardson. He would hey. get on. He would get online with me and start. You know, yell, see how yell, no, yelling about the Orioles, right. okay? All the bad things. And then 
I, I would I would try to be the voice of reason. I would always say, Tim, let it play itself out. It's too early to worry, you know. And that's been kind of a thing back I, and forth. I got you. I got you. I got you. Hey, um, Aberdeen Ironbirds, tickets are on sale now for dates such as Wizard Night, Friday, uh, July the 26th. Also, Star Wars Night, Friday, August 9th. And every Friday is Fireworks Night, uh, every Friday, Fireworks. That's right. This is your 2019 summer. Visit IronbirdsBaseball.com for the complete promotional schedule. And if you didn't need another reason to go to an Ironbirds game, they will have some of the best talent out of the draft. About two or three weeks away, I think you'll see Adlai Rutschman there during the month of August playing a little bit of baseball for the Ironbirds. Uh, I know that, that, uh, what's his name, Kyle Lowers Lowers is up there. I know... uh, one of the pitchers, Gillespie, Gillespie is up there. So they, yeah, yeah. So they, Connor Gillespie. So they've got some of the uh, Orioles of the future up there, uh, playing for the Aberdeen Ironbirds. And then, got to tell you about the latest edition of Press Box, the one that's out now. It's a special double issue celebrating Ed Reed's upcoming induction to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Legendary safety detailed his odyssey from an unheralded prospect out of New Orleans to a Hall of Fame career in Baltimore and his continued commitment to both hometowns. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. This is the old left-hander Ross Grimsley. You know, I've always known a little something about special pitchers, but today I'm pitching to you about a very special restaurant, the Costa's Inn. Located at 4100 North Point Boulevard, the Costa's Inn is known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. But get a load of the nightly specials. Monday night is rib night. Tuesday night, crab cake night. Wednesday night, steak night. Lobster nights on Thursday. Friday, Pete and Nick offer a variety of special dinners. Take it from me, Ross Grimsley. I'm no special. And the Costa's Inn is one hell of a special place. In Birdland, summer looks a lot like strolling under the lights on Utah Street, diving into a juicy Boog's barbecue sandwich, snagging exclusive giveaways, and tagging your friends to get theirs too. Saving big with kids cheer free, or sipping on an ice cold brew on the Budweiser roof deck while jamming out to the all new Birdland summer music series. Whatever gets you going this summer, Oriole Park has you covered. And all you need is your ticket. Be part of it all. Orioles.com. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for baseball season and all things sports, with all of the big events on dozens of TVs. Daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more, with different drink specials every day of the week. You can also book your private parties at Sliders with great spaces upstairs and on the outdoor patio overlooking Camden Yards. Sliders, Baltimore's neighborhood sports bar. See them at slidersbaltimore.com and be sure to visit Sliders today. This is Ross Grimsley. Join Pressbox and myself at Sliders on Monday, July 8th for the All-Star Home Run Derby from 7 to 9 p.m. I'll be behind the bar as a guest bartender serving drinks and talking baseball. I'm even buying the first 50 people that show up their first Fancy Clancy Pilsner. That's right. The first 50 of you will get your first Fancy Clancy Pilsner on me. That's Monday, July 8th at Sliders Bar and Grill across the street from Camden Yards. The Home Run Derby, Pressbox, Fancy Clancy Pilsner, and me, Ross Grimsley. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash Ross for details. 
Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's a special double issue celebrating Ed Reed's upcoming induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The legendary safety detailed his odyssey from an unheralded prospect out of New Orleans, Louisiana, to a Hall of Fame career in Baltimore, and his commitment to both hometowns. Plus, the teammates, coaches, family members, and friends that know Ed Reed the best share their favorite stories about him ahead of his induction. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here from Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle, you know, I'm regularly asked by folks about how we get so many great guests on our show. Well, I, I work really hard to get some of the biggest names on with us. I know you do, and the world recognizes it, but I want to challenge you to try to get some even bigger guests on the show moving forward. Okay, who do you have in mind? Well, nothing crazy. Like, what about Tim Tebow? Uh, or, or how about Leonardo DiCaprio or, or Lady Gaga, maybe Barack Obama? Uh, you know what? I'll settle for Wilt Chamberlain. But I think he died. What? Yeah, like 20 years ago. So that's a maybe? Maybe Java Chamberlain. Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. No one wants to talk to Java Chamberlain. If trying something new was a bad idea, many of us would still be wearing polyester. This message is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. You may know us for our great burgers and wings, but Glory Days pros mix it up with the fresh cedar plank salmon, cut in-house and grilled to perfection, or sizzling and juicy steaks, meaty ribs, we have handcrafted salads and sandwiches by our talented chefs. Change tastes good, we promise. Experience the Glory Days Grill menu in all its glory. Glory Days Grill, great food. Good sports. And we are back on the bat around uh, on this Saturday morning. And joining us now, uh, a little bit later than I thought, but it's my apologies, is Matt Kremnitzer, who is doing some very interesting baseball analytics writing for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Matt, many thanks for coming on with us. Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. Uh, you're on with yours truly, Stan the Fan, and Craig Heist. We're broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. We'll remind you of that. Uh, not you personally, but our audience out there. Uh, Matt, I've, I looked at your piece the other day. Uh, it somehow got past me. Uh, June 19th, you released a piece on Mike Mussina, sort of an appreciation of him and his going into the Hall of Fame, which is tomorrow. Uh, one of the, the lines in it, that caught me was right in the first paragraph. You said it shouldn't have taken him this long. Your thoughts on why it did take him so long? Because to me, Mike was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Um, I don't know if, if it's because he didn't get to 300 wins. I don't know if it's because he never won a Cy Young. Um, those are two huge things that, that you know that they look at when they're uh, trying to vote. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, he always seemed a little bit underappreciated. I don't know if it was because he wasn't overpowering, but you know, when you dig into the numbers a little bit, um, his numbers are, are really good. And uh, of his era, he's one of the best pitchers. You know, I, I, and this is not meant 
to denigrate Tom Glavin. But I look at Glavin, whose war was 80.7, Messina's was 82.8, and remember that Glavin pitched 22 years, Messina 18. Look at their winning percentage, and Glavin pitched 90% of it, or 80% of his career with a great Atlanta Braves team, had a 600 winning percentage. Mike Messina pitched the first half of his career with a team which I'm sure probably had a uh, under 500 record, yet his winning percentage was 638 throughout his career. His whip was 1.19 to Glavin's 131, and he struck out over 200 batters more in what, 900 less innings? Uh, why was Glavin uh, received so well a first ballot Hall of Famer and Mike had to work? I guess it's a different way of asking the same question. Yeah, uh, I guess just being on those Braves teams around Maddox and Smoltz uh, elevates him a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it was because, like you said, he did stick around more and accumulate, uh, you know, maybe not the strikeouts, but I, I believe he has more wins than Messina. Um He's got 35 more wins over four more years. Yeah. Okay, so he does have three or five. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a counting stat thing, um, but I, you know, I don't have a good argument for uh, why Messina doesn't get uh, you know similar credit to, to Glavin. Um, that's that's a, it's a good point. I don't know why uh, Messina gets underappreciated. I don't know why it took six years for him to get into the Hall of Fame. Well, I think part of the reason is some of what you said. Never. A 300-game winner, never a Cy Young Award winner, took him till his last year to finally win 20 games. All of that, from a national perspective, is is taken into consideration. Uh, obviously, not fairly, in my opinion, but that was one of the things that that did occur. Go back with him with the Orioles from 90, late 91, until. I don't know, 96 or so, and count up the amount of times he left a game with the lead that the bullpen gave away. And you you may have your 30 wins that you need there to get to 300. I mean, I think the, the number was over 50. So from that standpoint, uh, he was – unfairly treated in that regard I, I think I think guys that we cover normally and see on a daily basis we know what they're capable of we know what they did and that gets lost a lot of times uh, on on the national guys who vote now I will say this there's, yeah, there's but no, do you have a question for Matt well I'm just, well he asks you know he said he thinks that may be but here's the thing Matt I want to know analytically when it looked like when he first goes on the ballot, he gets 20%. And then from there, I don't know, went to 24, 25 maybe. And then it started to gradually go up. How much of that was due to analytics and people just looking back over his career and saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, this guy this guy renders uh, a good question. pretty good con consideration for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I, I would guess a significant amount. I mean, it we're in an era now where people understand that, you know, maybe not having a high win total really matters. It's not his fault that he doesn't have more wins if, if he's, you know, leaving with a lead or if he's pitching well and his team's not doing a good enough job of getting the lead or if, if guys are blowing the game for him. You know, that's not really his fault. It's more of how he pitched when he was in the game. And uh, in terms of the analytics part, um, he is a darling uh, among, you know, among a lot of uh, 
sabermetrically inclined uh, baseball fans. Um, you know, his ability to avoid hard contact, uh, his ability to limit walks, uh, just, you know, when you break down his numbers across the board, um, he doesn't have those wins. He never won a Cy Young, but he was a really good pitcher for, you know, pretty much every season of his career. Well, the six, and the uh, six, that matters. The 638 winning percentage uh, pretty much right. tells the story there. I'm watching the game last night up in the press lounge because a number of us went up out of the press box to get cooled yeah, off a little bit, right? Yeah. And Palmer makes a great statement to Gary Thorne about, he said, uh, I'm not going to Cooperstown this weekend. It's one of the very few times I don't. Uh, he says, but, uh, you know, he's bringing up the Orioles because they showed a graphic on TV about the Oriole, former Orioles going in, uh, Messina, Harold Baines, Lee Smith. And he said, you know, I talked to all three of them this week, he says, and, uh, you know, I was talking to Moose, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, I wasn't here when he threw out the first pitch on that Sunday, but then when I was talking to him, I said, what was your spin rate on that uh, <laughs> on that pitch to the plate? And Moose rolled his eyes and said, don't get me started. And he <laughs> says, look, it boils down to one thing. Can you get people can, out? Can you get people out? Yeah. Can they hit your curveball? You know, that kind of thing. And really, when you boil it down in its simplest form, that's kind of really what it's all about. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, if, if you're playing the game, you don't have to, to be someone who, uh, you know, looks at a lot of those things closer. Even guys now... Uh, you know, maybe they don't want to watch a lot of video. They don't want to know what the stats are on certain things. But, you know, as the Oros are kind of learning now, there are players who want to know that kind of stuff. Um, those things matter, and they can really help, you know, some of the guys on the fringe maybe reach that next level. But in terms of Messina, I mean, he was always some someone who he had the stuff. He didn't have, like, overpowering stuff, but he had pinpoint control. He, uh, I think Alex Rodriguez kind of referred to him as a poker player. He could never really read yeah. him. Um, he was someone who was always ahead of what the batter was doing. Um, so, you know, maybe it's a little bit unfair to maybe compare him to someone who, who you know, maybe needs to know the spin rate data uh, to take things to that next level. But in terms of Messina, I mean, he's one of the all-time greats. He, he didn't need to know that stuff, and, and that's perfectly fine. Well, and Mike used to say it all the time to me. He says, once it leaves my hand, it's out of my control. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he goes in tomorrow, but uh, Oriole baseball moves on. Uh, we just got word from one of our interns that Adlai Rutschman has made his pre- pro debut today playing for the Sarasota Gulf Coast League team. His first two at-bats, he's lined out and flied deep to left field. Have you been able to ascertain what his college numbers really mean? Because it's pretty staggering to me that he's already ranked as high as, I think, the number seven uh, best prospect in all of baseball. I mean, there, there's no sugarcoating that uh, his college numbers are fantastic. I mean, he had a, a tremendous sophomore season and was even better as a junior. And then people didn't know if that was going to be possible with everyone avoiding him, uh, not wanting to throw him, uh, you know, because they knew how good he was. They didn't want to give him a bunch of pitches to hit. But, you know, he walked away more, still hit for tons of power. Uh, even if he wasn't a catcher, he would still be a probably uh, a really good first base prospect and maybe even elite first base prospect. That's how good his bat is. Uh, it, it also says a lot that the Orioles think he's already an elite catcher that they just want to uh, they don't want to overwork him that way and kind of ease him in. I think he's DHing today and maybe he'll yeah. get some time at first base, but it, it'll at least DH. So um, you know, I, I think the sky is the limit. It's it's awesome that he's already a top ten prospect. Uh, hopefully he's in Baltimore in a couple years, and there's no reason to think that he won't be 
uh, you know, one of the game's best players, hopefully, at, at some point. Matt, are are you saying that of the top three kids, and what, who's the first baseman that went to the White Sox? I forget his name. Uh, uh, Vaughn. Vaughn. I think it's Vaughn. But uh, And then you get the uh, Witt Jr., the shortstop that went to Kansas City. Was this a clear number one pick to you? Was it an easy pick in your estimation to take Rutschman? It was to me. Um, I think the year before, Witt was in the conversation. And, you know, it, it's it's hard to, uh, you know, not take the shortstop when you, you think maybe that's, you know, one of the guys you want to have, like an up-the-middle player. And I know that Rutschman is, uh, you know, up-the-middle player as well, but catchers are a little bit different category. Um, but I think, you know, seeing him repeat and even, you know, do, do an even better job in, in his junior season, um, it's, it's not surprising that he was the number one pick. I think pretty much across the board and, and all of the mock drafts, he was the number one pick. So I guess the, the thing that it really only came down to was, you know, do you want to take a catcher? Um, and they did. And it, it seems like he's a really good player as long as he stays healthy. You know, I don't see any reason why he, he won't be in Baltimore in a couple of years and performing well. Matt, uh, one of the most exciting things that's taking place in the Orioles' rebuild is the fact that now under Mike Elias and Sig Madol, the organization has been has given those, the leadership on the baseball side the ability to go and uh, unfettered start to, to work on signing international players. Do you understand, is that just old-fashioned scouting finding those kids or are there analytics at some of the showcase events down there where they've got Statcast or whatever track man uh, that, that measures things? Are there measurables on these kids? I believe that they are using track man data, but I, I'm sure it's a combination of both. Um, I, I don't know how, how advanced things are uh, when it comes to their international scouting and, and what exactly they're looking for, but I do know they are collecting data. Um, so I'm sure it's a combination of both. And, you know, it's it's a, a big part is just that they're willing to throw that money around now. Um, they're willing to take a chance on a lot of these guys and bring them in. And even in you know the, in the case of the Castor trade, they're willing to uh, they they have identified some of these guys that they want to bring in in trades. And you know they're not shying away. You know they're 17 year old guys. Who knows what they're going to do? But they're not shying away from bringing in these guys who you know they may have high ceilings. And yep. uh, you know they're at the, the beginning stages of the rebuild. This is going to take at least a few years. So there's time for these guys to to develop, and if if you know one of the two guys that they you know one of any of the guys they brought in really turns into an elite player, then it was worth it. Got two quick questions for you before we let you go. Uh, everybody's excited about Ryan Mountcastle, and I see the power down there at Norfolk, 17 home runs. But I see an on-base percentage of 321, and I see 91 punchouts to 13 walks. Is that alarming to you? I wouldn't say alarming, but it is it is something that you notice, and it may also be the reason, besides that Chris Davis is still around, that he's not in Baltimore yet. Yeah, um, you would love to see that on base percentage up. You would love to see him walking more. It, it doesn't see it doesn't seem like there's any any question about his power. Um, it's also helpful that uh, AAA is using the, the major league ball this year, which seems to uh, be flying out <laughs> and at you know a pretty steady, <laughs> a pretty Justin uh, Verlander. Justin Verlander right, had yeah, some exactly. thoughts on that too. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I don't know if it's alarming, but I would say, you know, it's something in the back of your mind that he may be someone who hits for a lot of power, but maybe he's not going to be on base a bunch. But, you know, maybe he has that next level in him, and I don't, I, I can't imagine he'll get promoted this year, but maybe that's something he'll work on 
the rest of this season, maybe the beginning of next year before he comes up. Yeah, but is, is the Orioles have to figure out what they're going to do with Davis and also Mancini. So that, those are two big question marks. Is his age, Mountcastle's age, a predictor, or does it give you some hope? I, mean, I think he's a little young for the league he's in right now. Yeah, it's still hopeful. There, there's no reason to you know uh, give up on him or anything, um, but it's definitely something that you keep an eye on. All right, last question. I uh, just wonder, I, I've been a big proponent the last couple of years, and I don't have an analytical uh, uh, leg to stand on, so to speak. I'm a big proponent of the electronically called balls and strikes. It's debuted now in the uh, Independent League, the Anal- Atlantic League. Your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't know enough about uh, electronic called balls and strikes. Okay. Um, Honestly, uh, I'm okay with the system the way it is right now, but that's definitely something I'd have to read more up on. All right. Um, it might be something that happens in the future, and I, I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is to get things as accurate as possible. Um, but, that, yeah, that's a good question. All right. And if you saw Aaron Boone the other night, yeah. you know, that was the, the, biggest <laughs> right. ar- the biggest argument in favor of uh, electronic yeah. umpiring. Yeah, I agree right. with that. Hey, Matt, really enjoying reading your stuff in press box. We know you worked for The Athletic for a long time and uh, or for a while, and you've done some stuff locally. We're really happy to have you on board. All right? I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Matt. All right. There's Matt Kremnitzer. Uh, who's doing a super job. Hey, got to talk to you about a couple things real quick. And one of the things I'm going to tell you about is Baltimore's favorite bar. It's just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grills just steps from Camden Yards. It's the perfect sports bar for baseball season and all things sports with all the big events on dozens of TVs. Daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wingding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week. You can also book your private parties at Sliders with great spaces upstairs and on the outdoor patio overlooking Camden Yards. Sliders, Baltimore's neighborhood sports bar. See them at Sliders, slidersbaltimore.com, and be sure to visit Sliders today. And one more thing to talk to you about, and that is to join the Chesapeake Bayhawks tonight July 20th at 7 p.m. as they take on the New York Lizards. Arrive by 4.30 p.m. to attend our new Lexus tailgate. Tickets start at just $20. Purchase. Visit thebayhawks.com slash tickets or call the ticket office at 866-99-HAWKS. Go Bayhawks. And, Craig, why don't you introduce our next guest? All right. He is uh, the beat writer for MassInSports.com for the Washington Nationals. He is Mark Zuckerman. Mark, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. You think cool up there? Yeah, well, it's supposed to get to 100 today. So, uh, you know, but you know what? Atlanta's no picnic as far as hot temperatures are concerned. No, it is actually a little bit cooler here than, than in D.C. and Baltimore, which I would not have uh not a thought, but it's still pretty hot. Well, let me ask you this. Last night, uh, Patrick Corbin, five innings of, of work. He has to come out. He's pinch hit for. Uh, and this team comes back uh, from the deficit on the uh, Victor Robles home run in the ninth inning to tie it uh, at three. At, at that point, what is Davey Martinez's thinking as far as uh, – uh, Fernando Rodney in that situation in the bottom of the ninth as opposed to Sean Doolittle? Well, it was um, confusing in the moment. 
it was confusing as he explained it afterwards, and it's still confusing this morning, to be honest. Uh, basically, Davey's explanation was that he felt like Fernando Rodney was good for a second inning. It's not something that he had done. He had not thrown two full innings in a game in six years, since 2013. Um, he did get four outs a couple times last year. He did it once this year at AAA. But you're facing the top of the Braves lineup, and these are the good guys, Acuna, Swanson, Freeman, and Donaldson. Doolittle had warmed up in case they took the lead, so he was ready to go at the start of the inning if they needed it. And uh, Davey felt like Rodney made the most sense and then continued to feel like he made the most sense straight till the end of the game. He finally had Doolittle warming up, but it was in case the game somehow got to Nick Markakis, who was the, the on-deck batter, after Josh Donaldson. So he did not want to use Doolittle against Freeman or Donaldson. There was a moment when he came out to the mound and it looked like he was signaling to the bullpen. And Doolittle and some of the other folks in the bullpen started panicking, saying he's not ready yet. But he wasn't signaling to the bullpen. He was signaling for Juan Soto, the left fielder, to come in and play as a fifth infielder. Right. It, it really was a, a kind of a mess. It didn't look good, and it didn't turn out good. Um, and I, I'm just... I'm not sure a lot of people are going to justify the argument here well, of, of saving up your best pitcher when the game's on the line and you're facing their best pitcher. Well, we know all about that in Baltimore. <laughs> happened, <laughs> happened in a playoff game. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this is the kind of thing that Davey took a lot of grief for in the first month and a half to two months of this season was some of the pitching decisions. Now, you had a situation the other night up here in Baltimore, a game that they could easily have won, Eric Fetty's at 66 pitches after six and a one, two, three inning in the fifth inning. And he comes out and he comes out of the game and he's pitching relatively easy. I mean, there, there were no really high leverage innings for him. Uh, and he doesn't come out, uh, you know, for an extra inning. And I really question that. Yeah. A lot of people did, uh, myself included. And, um, I, I think what's probably surprising in the big picture here is that, when Davey was hired, he was kind of touted as an analytics guy, as somebody who would do things a little unconventionally from Joe Madden's school of thought. Uh, and, and to be honest, I would say as, a, as an X's and O's manager, he's been pretty cut-and-dried, old-school, do-it-by-the-book kind of way. Uh, for example, like last night, saving your closer on the road, not pitching him in a tie game because you're, you're waiting for a save situation. Um, the other night with Fetty, having a plan going in, sticking to it, and then not making adjustments based on what you're seeing. He gave an answer last night, uh, essentially saying, uh, Rodney's my eighth inning guy, Doolittle's my closer. It sounded a lot. It was impossible not to think back to Matt Williams mm -hmm. in the playoffs against the Giants when he didn't use Tyler Clippard uh, in the seventh inning of a do-or-die game for them. Uh, and they wound up losing it because of Aaron Barrett pitching instead. It's surprising to me because here's a guy who, like I said, was thought of or, or sort of touted as being new age and, and willing to do things differently uh, and having a good feel for the moment. And he's really, uh, you know, he's done a lot of great things in the clubhouse. But as an X's and O's in-game manager, there is a lot of just kind of um, conventional uh, maneuvers by him, really not a lot of stuff that goes off the book. We're talking with Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. 
We're broadcasting from the live casino hotel studio. This is the bat around. Uh, the Scherzer injury, it started out as a sort of, he took off the all-star game. It was no big deal. Then he went on the IL. It was no big deal. And the hope was he'd be able to pitch tomorrow. Um, they're still saying it's no big deal. Are you concerned at all long-term? And by long-term, I'm not talking about next year. I'm talking about 10 days from now that he won't be back. Yeah, look, until he is throwing off a mound again, I think you have to at least be somewhat uh, cautious and, and somewhat concerned about him. Um, what they finally discovered, they were originally called it a back strain, they finally discovered earlier this week is that it is, and I'm going to hopefully get this right, scapulothoracic bursitis, okay. which is a strange term that means he's got inflammation of a bursa sac uh, under his scapula, basically behind his, his shoulder, shoulder and his upper back. Yep, yep. Yeah. So it's something that he didn't know existed, none of us knew existed. <laughs> uh, anytime I've ever heard about a bursa sac, it's only been like actually in the shoulder, in the knee. But I guess you have these things all over the place. Um, he got a cortisone shot for it. He was told maybe within three to four days he'd be all right. He hasn't been able to throw off a mound yet. But this is kind of a strange thing. He's talking with our old friend Sean Kelly, former teammate now with the Rangers. And Kelly says, hey, I just had the exact same thing. I got the cortisone shot. Five, six days later, I was good to go. So today would be day five. Okay. So if he is able to now throw off a mound in the next couple of days, he seems to think he's going to be fine and he'll make a start next week and then this will be the end of it. Now, like I said, until we actually see him out there uh, throwing and not being in pain, then I think you have to at least be a little bit uh, concerned about it. So he's trying to remain optimistic by it. Um, we'll see. It's, it's certainly not ideal given the timing of this and how important the schedule is for them right now. But here's a guy who has really made it through his whole career without any kind of significant uh, injury. And this is the first time that he's been in a situation like this, and it's killing him because he wants to be out there. Um, so I, I think we'll know more in the next few days, but the hope would be that he comes back to pitch within the next week and maybe even faces the Dodgers and the Braves at home. Hey, Mark, uh, you've covered the Nats for several years now here. You know the history of Nats versus Orioles, both on the field and in the courtroom. Um, what about when it comes to acquiring a player that could help the Nats win, get into the playoffs, and go deep in the playoffs, and he's sort of the right guy in terms of you wouldn't have to give up too much for him, and that's Michael Givens. Would these two teams be able to consummate a deal if it was good for both teams? You know, I think if it was purely up to the baseball operations folks, mm -hmm. they would do it in a heartbeat if it made sense for both teams. The question is, is it only up to the, the baseball operations folks or is it up to the folks above who have other issues going on between them? Uh, now, I work for the network that's at the center of all this, yep. so I have to be careful what I say here, but... <laughs> Um, I think there's a pretty good reason that these teams have never made a trade with each other and have made trades with every other team in baseball. Uh, if that's not coming from above, I'd be surprised by that. That's an awful big coincidence for it to have never happened. So uh, if it makes baseball sense, it should happen. But uh, as we know, there's a lot more than baseball going on here between these two franchises, and so that's why I would be skeptical. I'd be that, skeptical, uh, like too. I'd be skeptical, too. It's a good answer do you think the trade makes sense from a baseball sense? 
Is there a fit? Is Givens a, a right type of guy, both that you'd be have a guy you got some control over, he's not going to replace Doolittle, but he could fit in in the seventh and eighth inning and be pretty dominant, especially against right-handed hitters. Yeah, that that is among the things that they're looking for is a good quality setup man. And Mike Rizzo loves to acquire uh, players who have more than one year of control. Mm-hmm. He's not big on the rental player. He's done it a few times. Uh, Kelvin Herrera last year uh, was one. Mark Melanson a few years ago was another. Um, but ideally, he likes to acquire somebody who he's going to have for another year because they're going to be in the same boat next year. Uh, they still need long-term release help, and, and he figures, if I'm going to give up a prospect, right. uh, I want to get more than two months of, of this guy in return. So, yeah, I think it does make some sense in that regard. Um, you know, But at the same time, the Nats don't have the kind of prospects they've had in years past. The cover's a little uh, more bare right now, so it may be a situation that they have to look more at the rental player because it doesn't cost as much uh, in terms of what you're giving up for. Well, one of the things that's led this turnaround, and there have been many, uh, was uh, Anibal Sanchez getting his season straightened uh, straightened out after an 0-6 start. And here he has a chance to get to 500 tonight if he can win a game uh, for the Nationals. But Soroka's back, so that's going to be a a tough task. But, you know, going forward now with the Scherzer situation, Mark, I was thinking if they split this series, you know, they leave no worse than what they came in. If they could take three out of four, they gain basically two games in the standings, and uh, that would behoove them very good, very well going forward, uh, knowing that they're still going to have, a, you know, a few more series left with the Braves head-to-head. Yeah, I mean, the the, the whole hope for, that they have for winning the division, I mean, it, it's a, a big deficit to make up in the bigger picture, but they came into this with 14 games against the Braves. 21% of their games right. the rest of the season are against the Braves. So that's your chance to beat them head-to-head. And I felt like if you could win nine of those 14, I think that puts you in a, in a reasonable position to do it. So that's where the idea of, hey, take three out of four this weekend, you could really get on the right track for that. And that's why last night's was so tough, um, because you know you're facing their ace tonight. Uh, and now you know you don't have Scherzer tomorrow night. Although, for everyone who's who's just chalking that up as a loss tomorrow, they're going to be facing Kevin Gosman, and they crushed him the last time they faced him, and they've had success against him going back to his days in Baltimore. So I wouldn't quite chalk that one up yet. Tomorrow night could be a slugfest. But, um, yeah, I think at this point you have to be thinking, hope to get out of here uh, with a four-game split, and then take your chances when you face them back at home uh, next week and then beyond. Um, but, you know, even if they don't uh, do that, even if they end up, uh, you know, ultimately not able to, to make significant ground up on the Braves, they're still in a very good position in the wild card race. The National League has a whole lot of teams that are in this thing, but none of them look dominant. Right. And I would say the Nationals, especially if they can uh, acquire a reliever or two in the next couple weeks, I think they still would stand out from the rest of that pack of the wild card contenders. Now, you're, you're playing now for a one-game playoff, as you guys know uh, how that can go. You never know what's going to happen. But uh, given where they started this year, it's still not a bad position to be in if they can't win the division. Well, they have the night game uh, tonight. They have the Sunday night game tomorrow. So we want to remind everybody about that. That's the ESPN That's game. That's the game tomorrow. on ESPN. Right. Yeah. Uh, going forward, Mark, uh, with this, you know, you know, the way they've played – 
it, it kind of, for me, starts with getting Trey Turner back, knowing that they were missing three-quarters of their infield for much of the first six weeks. Uh, but, boy, it became contagious because Juan Soto, who had a rough start, got going, and he's going gangbusters right now. Uh, you know, I'm continuing to be awed by the, you know, the production and the maturity that goes by each day with uh, Victor Robles. Uh, and again, we see Zimmerman back now healthy. And although he's not running all that well, he is driving the baseball, and that's a good sign. That is a good sign. Uh, he did have the single that set up the uh, Robles homer last night. Right. Um, you know, Robles, I just wrote about this morning, he's now had three homers this year that tied the game or gave them the lead late, twice with two outs in the ninth inning. He's hitting over 300 with over 900 OPS for the last month. He is coming into his own, and I know he is prone to those uh, high-profile mistakes, uh, usually in the field or on the bases, but this kid's got so much ability and talent and now a knack for coming through in big situations, and he's only going to get better as he gets more experience and starts to learn uh, you know, when to take these chances and when to, to back off. Um, between him and Soto, who, again, I still feel like is underrated across baseball, He's one of, I think, only five guys in the league right now with 300 batting average, 400 on base, and 500 slugging. He's even better than he was last year when he was one of the best teenagers of all time. Um, those two kids together, side by side, uh, are the reason that, you know, as much as everyone's talking about this year and trying to win right now, uh, this team is still in good position over the long term because they've got a couple of, of huge uh, building blocks in those two in, in the outfield. I want to return, Mark, before we let you go, to that idea of a Givens trade and what a return could be. Um, it's interesting how great Soto is, and I think it's an, an amazing story watching him. And Robles has come into his own as the season's progressed. He's really becoming more and more solid. The next guy that, that didn't quite make it for the Nationals is Michael A. Taylor. Would Michael A. Taylor and something like the return the Orioles got for Kashner with a couple young guys, would that fit what Rizzo might be willing to give up for Givens? Well, yeah, this is interesting because I think too often we tend to think of, okay, who are their prospects yeah. that they have, and we're talking about Carter Keyboom. Yeah, I know we're not getting Keyboom. Yeah, we're not getting Yeah, and, and, but, and, but this, is, this is the thing, Stan, and I've been wondering this myself. Um, are they in a position this year, as opposed to in the past, to maybe actually trade somebody with big league experience, like a Taylor, right? Uh, like uh, somebody off their bench, uh, maybe one of their starters, like Voth or Fetty, somebody like that? Uh, and the thinking would be that maybe that helps a team that needs uh, some big, you know, more kind of closer to big league ready right now. Yeah, and also maybe helps the Nationals from a standpoint of remember they're really up close against the luxury tax. Yep. And it's something they've tried to avoid going over for a third straight year. Well, maybe in a trade, you're not just taking on money, but you're giving up somebody who's making money, like mm -hmm. Taylor, who's still making a few million dollars. So that might be a path for them to try to do something. The only problem with Taylor is his value has dropped a lot. Oh, it's got, it's, I, I can't believe what I'm looking at. At double A, and I know they had him close by probably in case they need him, but he's hitting 183 at Harrisburg. Yeah. 
Um, he has come a long way down from where he was when he was such a big part of that playoff run against yep. the how, mu- how much of that, Mark, do you think is Dusty Baker not being here? Because really it was Dusty who took him under his wing and said, look, you've got the job right now. It's time for you to go grab the bull by the horns and go take it. He did, and, and yeah, there was a good connection there, and, and I don't want to discount that. At the same time, there was a point last year when they were dealing with all the injuries in the outfield that Michael A. was the everyday center fielder. Right. He did not make the most of that opportunity. Nope. He's been given a lot of them over the years. <laughs> and you can say, hey, uh, there have been points where Davey has just kind of let him rot on the bench, and that's true, and maybe it would have made a difference. But at least in the last two years, when he has had an opportunity to play, he has not made the most of it, and so he's kind of left Davey in a situation where he maybe doesn't feel like he can't afford to give him uh, any kind of significant playing time. It, it's, it's, it's gotten to a bad situation. I feel like in the long run it's probably just going to be best for Michael to go somewhere yeah. else. The shame of it is that the Nationals probably aren't going to get a whole lot for him uh, because the value has dropped so much. Well, whoever, whoever would get him is going to get a wonderful defender, and you can still yeah. arguably make that case that he's the I best. I mean, the Red Sox win an awful lot with, with a great defender in center field. Right. I'm not saying – Taylor's as good as Bradley, but you know I think I think actually Michael A. at his best can hit a little bit better than Bradley. Yeah, could we'll be. We'll see. We'll see. Hey, Mark, we really appreciate your coming on. Uh, always right. a pleasure to get uh, your insights. Okay. All right. All right. Have a good weekend, guys. Thanks. There you have it. Uh, as we go into our last time out, I want to mention that uh, August seventeenth will be here. It'll be here. That's me snapping my fingers. Before you know it. People can see you. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm snapping my fingers. August 17th, Dwight Yoakam and Sugarcane Jane at the event center at Live Casino Hotel. Isn't that what you call your wife? What? Sugarcane Jane. Sugarcane. <laughs> no, I haven't called her that lately. Oh, all right. I just <laughs> uh, I was trying t- to spice your weekend tickets, up a little bit. <laughs> tickets are $45. I don't need any more. My age... I don't need any spice here. All right, good Tickets enough. are $45, and you get back a $10 free slot play with each ticket purchase. That's the Dwight Yoakam concert with Sugarcane Jane, no relation to my wife, Jane Charles, at the event center on August 17th. Craig, we've got to tell the folks about a place with specials galore. Monday night is Crab Cake Night at the Costas Inn. Right. Tuesday night is Rib Night. Wednesday night is steak night, along with half-priced bottles of wine. Right. And then Thursday is lobster lobster night. Lobster night, you can have it either regular or stuffed. And don't forget the live entertainment throughout the week. Jazz night on Wednesday night. Rock and roll, great rock and roll on Friday and Saturday. Rat Pack is there the first Friday of every month. Uh, It's a family atmosphere. Head in there, tell them Stan and Craig sent you, talk to Pete and Nick, and they will treat you right. And don't forget the phone number, 410-477-1975. This time of year, everybody spontaneously wants to eat crabs. You know, they say, hey, let's go get crabs. you got to call and reserve your crabs because they get sort of a set number uh, per shipment. And, boy, that is... Uh, what they go through to supply crabs, I know they make money well, on them. Well, that's why Nick is the... It's, uh, it's unbelievable. That's why Nick is the head crustaceanologist. He is a crustaceanologist yes. of extraordinary uh, incomparable. Ability, yes. Yes. Uh, that's the Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. 
Jerry's Tire is located in Baltimore City, just steps away from Little Italy and historic Jonestown. Jerry's not only sells all the major brand tires like Bridgestone, Michelin, and Continental, but is your go-to shop for everything from oil changes to factory scheduled maintenance. All repairs are backed by a nationwide warranty. The team over at Jerry's has been serving the Baltimore area for over 62 years and are eager to earn your business. Give them a call at 410-685-4330 or visit them online at jerrystires.com to shop for tires and schedule an appointment. That's Jerry's, G-E-R-R-Y-S, tires.com. I like world-famous chicken. You like world-famous chicken. We all like Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Why? Because Royal Farms world-famous chicken's always fresh, never frozen. Because it's hand-dipped in a secret recipe of herbs and spices. Because it's cooked on the spot, right in the store. And because it's the juiciest, best-tasting chicken on the planet. That's why everyone likes Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Western fries, too. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Join the flock as the Chesapeake Bayhawks face off against the New York Lizards for Chesapeake Celebration and Rivalry Night on Saturday, July 20th at 7 p.m. at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. Arrive at 4.30 p.m. to attend our new Lexus tailgate featuring games, live music, and complimentary Bud Light for ticket holders 21 and up. Tickets are available and start at $20. To purchase, visit thebayhawks.com slash tickets or call the Chesapeake Bayhawks ticket office at 866-99-HAWK. Go Bayhawks! This is Ross Grimsley with a reminder to all my baseball friends out there that I'm now part of the Press Box Podcast team. Catch my take on the O's and whatever's going on in this great game of baseball. We'll also touch base with some of my old friends and teammates. Tune in every Tuesday morning or listen anytime at PressBoxOnline.com slash Ross Grimsley Show. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's a special double issue celebrating Ed Reed's upcoming induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The legendary safety detailed his odyssey from an unheralded prospect out of New Orleans, Louisiana, to a Hall of Fame career in Baltimore and his commitment to both hometowns. Plus, the teammates, coaches, family members, and friends that know Ed Reed the best share their favorite stories about him ahead of his induction. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations locations including 60 Royal Farm stores you can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles Ravens and Terps at pressboxonline.com the Glory Days Grill-to-Go menu is based on a simple reality. You can't spend your whole life at Glory Days Grill. Your boss wouldn't like it, and neither would your kids or your dog. So come to Glory Days and get your food to go. On your way to soccer practice, or to the office, or to, well, wherever. We know the hardest part of visiting Glory Days Grill is leaving. But at least you take a little piece of us wherever you go. Glory Days Grill. 
Great food, good sports. As the weather heats up, the menu at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square cools down, introducing the all-new Frosted Key Lime, a fun twist on one of America's favorite pies. The new treat is a hand-spun combination of Chick-fil-A's signature ice dream, Chick-fil-A lemonade, and natural sugar-free lime flavoring made from a blend of key limes, copper limes, and Persian limes. Frosted Key Lime gets its green color from a mix of nutrient-rich ingredients. Download the Chick-fil-A app today, place your order, and get points towards free stuff at Our Chick-fil-A. Nottingham Square. Plus, if you order using your app, your food will be ready when you get there. Stop by Chick-fil-A in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center at 5198 Campbell Boulevard and tell Steve we sent you. We are back. Stan the Fan, Craig Heist, and one of our interns, Griffin Bass, is holding his uh, expensive Apple computer. Better not drop that. And there's a reason we're doing that. Uh, Griffin... Go ahead and click the uh, play button. This is an Adley Rutschman at bat. And that, folks, is the sound of Adley Rutschman's first professional home run. What a sweet swing. And what, his third at bat? His third at bat, yeah. Third at bat, and he hit the ball hard the first two times, and the guy hasn't played for about five, six weeks. Uh, that's uh, something to witness, and... Uh, Griffin ran in and said, got big news from the Gulf Coast League. Adley Rutschman with his first home run. Kid's going to be good. Things are looking bright in Birdland. Yep. Yep. All right. Thank you, Griffin. Appreciate it. Can I have that computer? Uh, I think I'm going to hold on to it. Okay. You might have All to right. buy it off of him. No, buy it. Giving the guy the opportunity of a lifetime <laughs> to come in here on Saturday mornings. You know? Yeah. You ever hear of a five-finger discount? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, yeah. at the park tonight, Orioles and the um, Boston and, Red and Sox. The Boston Red Sox. It's Rick Por- Rich Porcello. Rick Porcello. Rick Porcello versus Tom Eshelman. Right. I had a little chat with Tom uh, yesterday. Seems like a very nice lad, and seems like he's uh, primed to try and do his best here. He's uh, appreciative of the analytical assistance. Uh, and felt that the Phillies had kind of written him off after yeah, his 18 season. I think so, and with the way they used him in the first start, I'd like to see him go a little bit further this time around. Yep, yep, yep. He seems to have a what I call a touch for pitching. Yeah. You know? He's not going to overwhelm anybody, but he's he kind of knows where he wants the ball well, to and, go. Well, and, you know, a fastball command, even if your fastball's at 89 to 91. Right. Needs if you command to, it. Need, if you command it and you hit your spots, you yeah. can pitch up here. And that what that's going to do is set up all the rest of the stuff that you throw, the secondary pitches. And in his case, he's got a pretty good repertoire. By the way, tonight at the Bowie Bay Sox game, I meant to mention this, uh, It's they're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the man on the moon. Right. And uh, it's interesting. They're giving a, a Trey Moon Man Mancini bobblehead away. Okay, and, a Moon uh, Moon, moon Man. man. Okay. Now, it's interesting. There were, I don't know why they're referring to him as Moon Man, where they came up with that. Well, My nickname for him is, is Trey Moon River Mancini because Henry Mancini wrote the song Moon River, and he'd hit the ball over the moon. Well, they call it Boom Boom Mancini. Okay. You know, so yeah, but my, maybe my this nickname is, just a, te- is a lot better. Well, yeah. you're going to think that regardless. Yeah. Depending Mancini, on who you talk man. to. Huh? Depending on who you talk to. You ever to. Hear right. the song Moon River? Yeah. Won an Academy Award, I yeah. think. Right. Okay. Moon River. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I Wider think I'm familiar with right. I'm Your familiar with the song. Smile right. one day. Speaking of Huckleberry, say goodbye. <laughs> All right. That does wrap up our show for Craig Moon River Heist and Stan Stan's just what was that? Sugar Jane. Sugar Jane. Sugar Cane Jane. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that wraps Go home up. and explain <laughs> yeah. that one. That wraps up another edition of the Bat Around. We'll see you next Saturday. Don't forget Ross Grimsley, 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning, uh, brought to you by Sliders. And Monday through Friday, I'll be in with Glenn Clark. Can we get you on uh, the Glenn Clark show one day this sure. week? Sure. All right. Yeah. Uh, on the phone? We on can the, get you yeah, on the yeah, phone. Yeah. I don't want you to drive in. Well, be, well, it's harder now because if the, if the, well, if the Orioles are home. Yeah. That's a different story. Uh, with, with the Nationals home, I got to, you know. But I'm talking like 1030 in the yeah, morning absolutely. one day. Yeah, All right. Just call the house. All right. We'll do it. All right, that does wrap up our show. Thanks for Ryan McGittigan and also to Griffin Bass out there. And uh, go Adlai Rutschman. Yeah. First professional home run. Wow.